of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 227. Jason Lingren is with me, and Dr. Andy Kaufman is back. Welcome, Jason. And a fine good morning it is, Crow. So we got a crazy old storm coming ashore in Louisiana, and here in Rhode Island, they're reporting that the system may go all the way up to, wait for it, Wisconsin. Right. This is the day before it's supposed to hit this area, so we'll see how much I get thwacked this week. I don't recall any tropical storm system uh, making its weather pattern up to Canada before, but maybe that's just me not paying attention. Uh, Do we have anything, or should we get Dr. Kaufman in and launch this thing? Launch it. Welcome, Dr. Kaufman. Thank you, Crow. It's great to be back. Good to have you, man. You've been out and about and all over the world. I keep getting little notifications from here, there, and everywhere. So good to see that you're getting an audience uh, to talk a little bit of common sense in the world. Um, You want to catch us up with anything since last time you've been here, or you want to jump in? Well, um, we we can definitely jump in. I definitely have been busy, and it's great to uh, connect with people uh, from abroad as well as the United States. So, um, you know, I'm just doing the best I can to get this information out to people. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, the The hardest censorship that I've been hit with recently was the first one of the first episodes you and I did together with Jason. Uh, that was deleted. Of course, all our ones are still on crow777radio.com when they do get stomped out like that. But we also received an email threat the day after Trump claimed he was doing something about censorship, which is a bit laughable. Uh, And it basically says, if you say anything about what's going on in the world that doesn't jive with mainstream, we'll stomp you out. So there's all that. One guy to send here, Jason? Well, to start with, Andy, how has the response been since you've grown in your reach a lot since you were first with us. Well, first with James True was the first thing you ever did, and then you were with us. How are people responding to everything you're saying? Overall, to me, it seems like it's extremely positive. Yeah, absolutely. It's been uh, overwhelmingly uh, positive. Um, I've gotten a lot of support and, um, you know, every day from people and, uh, you know, been uh, given a lot, a lot of acolytes, uh, which make me a little uncomfortable, but I, I definitely appreciate the solidarity from people. But on the other hand, uh, there definitely have been some detractors, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, name calling and, uh, some people even questioning whether I'm a doctor or not, uh, things like that. Some, some old friends, especially from the medical community have, uh, been a bit, upset with me. But I think over time, they might, uh, you know, realize that um, I'm actually trying to do a good thing here. Oh, what the hell are you doing thinking on your own, man? The system does not allow for that. That's against the rules (laughs) in the modern era. Yeah, well, I've always had a bit of uh, difficulty um, with that issue. And uh, it's definitely gotten me in some trouble before. Like, for example, um, you know, I was really as a psychiatrist, you know, we're expected to commit people to the hospital, right, which is really using uh, police powers to confine people against their will. And in many cases, uh, in my experience, this is used way overused and it's for convenience purposes. So, for example, when I was in my training at Duke in North Carolina, I discovered that they were actually filing commitment papers on people in order to justify having the police transport them to the hospital rather than using an ambulance. And when I did some digging, I saw that this was because the um, legislature had an easier time increasing the budget for law enforcement, and it was much cheaper to have um, law enforcement do this transport than have an ambulance, because these were people going to the state hospital, which is out in the sticks, so it was a long ride from a lot of different places, and they, they had a large catchment area. And when I tried to stop committing the uh, patients because they came there, oftentimes voluntarily they wanted help, especially those with addiction problems, Um, the administration and some of the uh, attending physicians there were really upset with me. And, uh, you know, I got a lot of uh, stern talking to and told to do this, but, but I couldn't actually do it because I felt it was not moral to force people into treatment and confine them in this legal model when they simply could make their own decisions. Yeah, you got to wonder, you know, we've done so many law series. Um, This is just more of the same systems broken and uh, people are, you know, we've got trailblazers that are going to actually use the court systems as they exist um, to try to find remedy. And that's a key thing. Um, But, you know, you know, which way we're creeping here. 
Um, we're creeping to the idea that nobody has any rights to do anything. Um, so it's not surprising that they were teeing it up all this time ago. Yeah, of course. And, you know, I'll tell you, I have a lot of experience in the courtroom setting as an expert witness, and I've observed uh, a lot of uh, different procedures. And I'll say that I have not really seen the the primary goal of the court's decision making be related to justice or fairness. That's what happens with corporation, um, which is what we're talking about. Uh, corporation serves itself. Corporation does not serve the customer. Corporation has shareholders and boards and officers. And what's good for the corporation becomes paramount to all else. Uh, it doesn't matter who you're stepping on. And that's why so many people are fed up with the system. Uh, like our last guest who simply got out of serving during wartime for 12 years in war zones. Um, and he tried to transfer the deed to his family properties and he found out he doesn't own it. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of people coming at it, but, uh, let's, let's get into the topics at hand. We outlined a few, Jason, which one do you want to start with? Well, if we were to look into a possible future, perhaps Dr. Kaufman would be committing people who don't want to augment themselves in some interesting transhumanism future that could be around us in a few short years. Yeah, well, it won't be me doing those commitments because I'm not going to be part of that system anymore. But I can I can certainly see that kind of thing coming because, you know, I think we should start by defining uh, transhumanism, which is a philosophy where we basically aim to augment uh, human functioning in some way, uh, most likely using technology. So beyond our natural capabilities. And a lot of the companies who are developing this technology now, of course, they say it's to treat or alleviate illness, like especially neurological illness, like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. And I'm sure that things like schizophrenia and depression will not be far behind. And then you could say, well, if someone is suffering from this condition, and as a result, uh, refuses the treatment, right? There are lots of legal mechanisms to compel treatment. And this is done now with uh, forced medications. I mean, they'll even hold someone down and uh, inject them uh, via a court order. And I was in my earlier training in forensic psychiatry, actually, I was required to be an expert witness and testify in many of these cases. Uh, they called it uh, treatment over objection. So if this new kind of uh, transhuman technology it would be considered a treatment, then I think uh, there would be already a legal mechanism in place to force it upon people, at least uh, those disenfranchised mentally ill people for sure. So much for the dignity of uh, men and women. What do you suppose, I mean, I mean you kind of outlined it, but what do you think will be the very first signs um, that this door is wide open. Uh, do you think it'll have to do with the treatment of what's going on in the world now? Or do you think it'll circle around supposed neurological issues, which is a bit ironic considering that they openly admit things like Alzheimer's has a lot to do with how much aluminum is in people's brains. So that seems like a pretty straightforward idea to me on how to treat it, get the damn aluminum out of their brain, right? Absolutely. And that's um, a challenging thing to do, but it's something I'm spending a lot of effort uh, trying to figure out in my natural healing practice. But I don't think that it's really going to be for treatment purposes. I think that's just a public relations justification that looks nice in an article to get people to accept it, because I think that's a big challenge that um, there, there's some natural resistance to you know, becoming a cyborg or having technology within your body or altering your body in some unnatural way. And this is a way to make it more acceptable because who doesn't want to treat people with Alzheimer's disease or reverse any serious illness? But what I think the first um, major attempt is going to be through this coming vaccine, actually. So you must be referring to contact tracing? Well, uh, contact tracing and also um, modifying us genetically. I think that's a, a big part of the game. To what end? So let's get into this for a minute. Uh, what, what, what does it mean to modify someone genetically? Well, I, I think there's different ways you can look at it. Um, one big distinction that's often made is if you do alter someone's DNA, are you doing it in the germline cells? In other words, the um, sperm or egg, where you're going to pass on this genetic alteration to the next generation 
versus if you're doing it in another part of your body or not being passed on to the next generation. But I think uh, a good way to look at this is the this new vaccine technology that they have really put a lot of effort into in the context of developing a COVID-19 vaccine. And there are two technologies uh, that are closely related toward this end. Uh, one is the, the DNA vaccine, and the other one is the mRNA vaccine. And just to review uh, a little bit about the theory of DNA and genetics, that we have DNA in the nucleus in our cells, and that has the master code for our genes. And when a gene is expressed, then it is made into an RNA transcript. So in other words, DNA is double-stranded, and it, the strands will separate when a gene is being transcribed, and one of the strands will be turned into RNA through an RNA polymerase uh, enzyme. And then that strand of RNA, called messenger RNA, has the actual code to make a protein. So it goes to a different part of your cell where the machinery to make proteins is called ribosomes, and they attach to a specific sequence on the messenger RNA. And then every three base pairs, or those are the building blocks of RNA and DNA, the nucleic acids, uh, codes for a specific amino acid that's part of a protein. And so this is how most of the biomolecules in our body are made. Uh, most of them are proteins, and the other ones are made by protein enzymes catalyzing a series of chemical reactions from, from different starting materials. So if we have, uh, let's start with a DNA vaccine, and there's a company called Inovio that is developing this particular technology. And what they do is they use a circular piece of DNA that they've created in the laboratory. And this is essentially based on a model that's in bacteria. Bacteria often exchange genetic information with each other in a population to um, provide information about their environmental conditions. And this is a very useful thing. Like one example that we may be familiar with is for antibiotic resistance. So if some cells are exposed to an antibiotic and then they make a, they have a gene that breaks down or that results in a protein that breaks down the antibiotic, like penicillinase breaks down penicillin. And then they can uh, pass the code for that penicillinase gene through a plasmid, a circular piece of DNA, which can travel freely between the bacterial cells. And so it can spread to the whole population of bacteria, and then they can all become resistant to the antibiotics. And this is, you know, what we see happening with those so-called uh, killer bugs, right, like the uh, MRSA and other related organisms. But in this case, with the vaccine, they're using a similar model. So they have a circular piece of DNA, and they tell us that they've inserted a gene from the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which, you know, as we've talked about previously, has not been um, isolated or purified or, or shown to be a distinct entity. And the technology is quite interesting. So they will inject this circular piece of DNA with this uh, alleged virus gene into our body. And then they want it to be taken up inside of our cells so that it can be actually used by our cell to make the RNA and the protein. And in order for this to happen, because uh, free DNA in our body does get uptaken somewhat by our cells, but it's a, a difficult process to get enough. And so they're using a technology called electroporation. And this is something that's been around for a while. Um, it's most it's been used in the laboratory for the same purpose to get um, foreign cells to take up uh, pieces of genetic material so that they can do various types of experiments. But in order for this to occur, they have this special syringe with three needles. And the needle in the middle is the one that delivers the liquid which contains this DNA. And then the two needles on the sides are positive and negative electrodes. And when the needles are, are inserted into our body, then a current is generated. And the, current, the electric current causes the cells um, in its field to um, open up little pores in their cell membranes. 
and the DNA can then travel freely into the cells through those pores and then can be integrated into the host cell DNA and then make this supposedly uh, virus protein. And then it would be expressed by our own cells, which is supposedly going to trigger some kind of immune response. And I'm, I'm sure there will be an immune response, but I don't know that it'll be specific for this foreign protein or not, because we're talking about our immune system recognizing our own cells with a foreign protein on it. So I think there could be all sorts of uh, complications uh, from this type of technology. Holy smokes, man. Does anyone know where the exit to this theater is? But if I can sum up really quickly, what you're pointing out is the claim is currently they could update your DNA some way, which is not passed to offspring. They can update your DNA in another way where it is passed to the offspring. So I've got to ask, and I think people will understand why I'm asking it because I'm not going to, I'm not going to say openly why, but if they were to update the DNA in a way that it could be passed on to children, would that pass through the mother, the father, or both? Yeah, I think it could be uh, done either way, uh, really, uh, depending on the the technology that they're using. Um, You know, in order for that to happen, there would have to be some way to target the genetic material that they're inserting Um, to, you know, like the ovaries or the testes uh, where those cells are made. And uh, that kind of gets into the other type of uh, genetic vaccine technology, the mRNA technology, because the companies that are developing this are not using the same electroporation type of approach or local, I should say local electroporation, because, you know, aside uh, from this, I've I've looked into and uh, some researchers have shared these studies with me, but actually the some of the frequencies in the new um, telecommunications infrastructure technology are actually shown in the laboratory to also cause poration of the cells. So if we were exposed to such an electromagnetic field, um, it could be actually that our whole body could uh, develop these pores so that the genetic material could be taken up pretty much anywhere in our body as opposed to just the local site. And then the other thing about the mRNA vaccines is I found an interesting review article, and they have several different ways to package these in uh, little vesicles, um, similar to um, exosomes, actually. And in fact, one of the main companies, Moderna, has also been trying to develop exosome technology to deliver treatments like for cancer. So it's quite interesting that these two technologies really juxtapose. So let's say that you wanted to send this genetic material to the ovaries. So what you could do is you could put a specific type of receptor on the vesicle. And you know, when I say vesicle, I just mean a little sack of a membrane that contains the genetic material inside of it. And so this could be targeted, like, let's say, you know, there's estrogen receptors or something that was specific uh, for that part of the body. So it could essentially target it, the vesicles that were injected to that part of the body. And then if you expose the person to the right kind of electromagnetic field, then or maybe there's another mechanism with exosomes, the receptor will basically take up the exosome. So if we like say we find a natural exosome that targets that tissue, we could basically package the genetic material inside that and then it would go to that target cell. And the way exosomes communicate information is that the, the target cell that they come to basically takes them up inside and then the genetic material contained inside the exosome becomes part of that target cell's genetic material, and it can utilize that information for whatever purpose that's intended. So this vaccine technology would essentially hijack that process to put in whatever genetic material they wanted to express inside these packages, which will already deliver it to the right target. So this could be a very uh, powerful technology. So if this is done and it's the method that uh, would be passed to offspring, and you've already pointed out that the effect is taken at the reproduction sexual centers, uh, the ovum or the testes, male or female, I got to ask, I've been reading for the past few years, and this is a claim that I've never authenticated, that the sperm count in the Western world is down like something I've read as high as 70%. 
And the reason I'm asking is because if there's already truly something like this is provably correct, you can see where I'm kind of leading. Do you think it's correct? Some of these articles claiming that the sperm count in Western men is down by some drastic measure, is that correct? Yeah, well, absolutely. There's a major uh, fertility problem going on in our modern society. I mean, you know, look at all of the fertility clinics that have popped up uh, everywhere, right? It's just becoming more and more common. Now we see all these multiple births related to in vitro fertilization due to fertility problems. And I think this, this is, um, you know, actually a planned effort and perhaps related to the uh, women's liberation movement in some respects, right? Because we know that there are less uh, women having children or they're having less because they're entering the workforce as a result of that. But in addition, this biological aspect of infertility could have many factors. One factor actually I think is highly important in the whole uh, transhumanism uh, philosophy is the exposure to endocrine disrupting chemicals. I'll give you one example uh, that's pretty well known. There's a pesticide called atrazine that has been shown to um, disrupt sexual development. And in studies with amphibians, for example, when they're exposed to this, they develop um, hermaphroditism and ambiguous genital functioning and reproductive problems. And this particular pesticide was actually presented to the Environmental Protection Agency because of these toxicity studies. And they determined that it didn't even meet the criteria to be regulated. So this is just one example. You know, I think people are familiar with BPA, which also is endocrine disrupting. Then you have all manufactured uh, soy-related foods, um, have phytoestrogens. And so I could go on and on and on about all these endocrine disrupting chemicals. And many of them uh, tend to be feminizing, like estrogen-related uh, chemicals. So this could definitely have an effect on the male reproductive system. And I think uh, those are some of the factors why we're seeing this problem. Jason, what's the movie that I'm trying to think of? Children of Men, is that it? The one where there's no babies being born in the world must be from the 90s? Yes. The only reason I'm pointing it out is because recently we've been pointing out the pre-echoes. But go ahead, Jason, take it where you will. And this is just one aspect of it. Uh, this is before we even get into any kind of technological aspects there's a gentleman I'm always keeping an eye on just because he's so outspoken and has done a decent bit in the political arena. And uh, I sent you the most recent interview with him, and I thought your response was quite amusing, that he seems to want to live forever. But that seems to be one of the things that's tied in with transhumanism and a lot of, let's say, the not-so-nice people in the higher echelons, that they have some sort of desire to take themselves into the future and leave us behind. I don't know how much you may have encountered in your medical side of things, but what do you think about what they're doing? I mean, the things they're doing with this RNA, DNA manipulation, do you see any sort of life extension technologies or anything like that being worked on from this angle? Well, I don't know if that uh, life extending technology is necessarily meant for the uh, average people like us, but you know, you're really reminding me of Ray Kurzweil uh, bringing that up because uh, a few years ago I saw his documentary, I think it's called The Singularity. That's definitely a term he talks about a lot, and we'll get to it on this episode. But uh, Ray Kurzweil was, um, he suffered some kind of um, medical problem, I guess, in midlife. And uh, it really put him into uh, an existential crisis. And in the film, they showed him taking like something like 60 or 70 different supplements a day. He had like these big plastic bags, right, of all these pills. And he was basically saying, I'm going to, you know, everything that has some evidence that it might extend your life, I'm going to just take that every day and hope for the best. And, um, you know, probably not realizing that with all those supplements, he's putting chemicals in his body as well. But nonetheless, you know, this is something um, that I think is a, a big part of the goal. Like, how do we live forever? And one of the ways I've heard that I, I find very frightening is uh, about transferring your consciousness to a computer and that you would uh, basically outlive your physical body. And, um, you know, I don't know how close that technology may be or if it's even possible, but it's, uh, you know, kind of imagine being trapped in some kind of computer somewhere. It's, uh, it's the stuff nightmares are made of. I don't want to point out the obvious here, guys, but apparently there was already a method for this called the Philosopher's Stone. 
from alchemy, the idea of extending life and all these things. That's why some of this is a bit baffling. Is it that they're too lazy to do the supposed great work or, or is it some evil bent? I don't know. Anyhow, there's my my little insertion. Right. Well, this could also just, you know, simply be similar to the treating illnesses um, story that this is, you know, most people would say, yeah, I'd like to live a little bit longer. Right. I want to be around for the next generation, etc. And so it's attractive to people and they maybe are more willing to, you know, agree to have some of this technology in their body if it could extend their life expectancy. Now, what about the technological side of it? I don't know how much Ray Kurzweil gets into that. I've seen at least some of that film that you're talking about, and I was also highly amused with the dozens of supplements, vitamins, all the things that he's taken. You know, funny enough, the last time I saw him, his hair was looking way better than he used to, but that could just be a good stylist. (laughs) Where's his magic supplement store? (laughs) He, He must know Clive. Right, exactly. He's getting the good stuff. He's one of the most outspoken people behind this, just like uh, the other gentleman I mentioned, uh, Zoltan Istvan. And there's there's others. I think uh, they seem to be a public face for a lot of this stuff, but I have no doubt that behind the scenes there's stuff going on. For instance, there is official work being done on a brain-computer interface by a company that Elon Musk owns called Neuralace, and that is supposed to be a direct interface, kind of like the Matrix. I mean, it's not that advanced, obviously, but they've already got it to a point where, yes, you can attach some physical wires. They insert a tiny little needle into you, to your brain, that can then connect to the computer. And I'm wondering how all of these things are going to intertwine and if at some point in the future we're going to be considered obsolete for not wanting to upgrade yeah, well, this is, uh, you, you know, you, you got to a really important issue, this so-called uh, brain-machine interface, and it's not just Elon Musk's Neuralink company that's developing this, although, interestingly, he made uh, a big announcement last summer that they were going to be ready for human trials in 2020. And, you, you know, you described the technology pretty well. They, they drill tiny little holes in the skull, and they insert these uh, really tiny wires in, and that, that's how they're doing it now. But, but actually, he's not alone in doing this. There are, there are many efforts to develop uh, brain-machine interfaces. And in fact, um, DARPA is one of the big players in here, and they've been uh, funding a lot of research. And of course, they talk about it like developing super soldiers. Uh, but they have put out millions and millions of dollars uh, in grants to try and encourage this technology. There's another company, too, called Kernel, that may even be slightly more advanced in terms of their current status compared to uh, Musk's company, Neuralink. But I think where the ultimate um, singularity of this technology is going to involve nanotechnology. And this is a much more practical because um, in one sense, they, they wouldn't need to do surgery on you, right? Because that's going to be a big barrier. Um, people, I'm sure, you know, who have serious illness will consider doing surgery, but I don't think this will work for the, or be as easily accepted by the general population. But if they use um, nanotechnology um, in order to carry out this uh, brain machine interface, then it could even be just snuck into vaccines quite easily. And I don't know if we talked about this before, but um, a couple of years ago, there were two Italian researchers that looked at all of these commercially available vaccines under an electron microscope, and they were experts in that technology. And what they found is that every single one contained these nanoparticles of various metals. And they had no real explanation for why this uh, metals would be in there. But Wait a minute, what were they in? They were in vaccines. Like, basically, the researchers bought a vial of every commercially available vaccine in Europe. And in every single vial, they found these nanometals, and regardless of the manufacturer. And they tried to you know, contact the manufacturers to um, see how these could have gotten in there. And basically they were given no information. And you know, six months later, actually, the Italian police came and raided their laboratory and confiscated their computers. So this must have been you know, some high security type information. But 
I couldn't help wonder if these uh, particles actually were some kind of nanocircuits or electrodes. And, you know, interestingly, in the context of the brain-machine interface, the nanotechnology actually offers technical advantages um, over the other types of electrodes like Jason described. Um, for example, the surface area to volume ratio can be much higher in these nanoparticles, so they can essentially make contact uh, with more cells um, in the tissue, you know, requiring less of the technology uh, for signal transfer. So I think this is ultimately where the brain-machine interface is going. Uh, right now, we already have brain-machine interfaces in terms of wearable devices like um, skull caps type of thing where um, you it can monitor EEG waves and you can control like a remote controlled um, uh, drone or other operate other things like the military talks about uh, being able to operate your weapons just based on your thoughts. I believe they have one that's an armband that can detect uh, just very, very tiny movements and can type 40 words a minute on a device based on that without actually touching the device. So there's the current state of the art, and then there's where things are going. And then, of course, there's the current hidden technology that we're unaware of or it's top secret that uh, could already be quite advanced. And that's why I was suspicious about what's the purpose of these nanometals that have been in the vaccines? Are they something that could be activated later in a remote way and bring about some kind of machine body interface and influence us in some way? Well, I think the uh, Italian police kind of pointed to, hey, antenna boy, shut up, sit down and give me your computer. Maybe they called him copper top on the way out the door, right? <laughs> yeah, or however you say that in Italian. <laughs> You know, the uh, particles that you're referring to, if it's not some sort of nanotech that's already been developed, it may at least be some sort of particles to act as an antenna for all these frequencies that they're going to be zapping us with. Well, they already are zapping us with, but they're going to really ramp up once they get all these technologies in everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And any, um, you know, metallic particle that has uh, a dipole would be able to receive uh, radio or other EMF signals. So, um, that could certainly be possible. I would have to, you know, maybe consult a physicist to see how feasible based on the materials they actually found, but it, it certainly sounds uh, quite, quite likely. There's another side to this. Um, in the studies I've been doing about alchemy, which we know as soon as science got here, it defamed it with people like Einstein any number of ways. Um, and I'm reading a book currently where the people who appreciate what alchemy was able to achieve are writing to the scientific community saying, you know, you really don't have much right to down us all the time, and here's all the proofs and evidences why. But the point I'm getting to is there are basically three branches, the spagyria, which would be vegetable. You could include the animal kingdom, but I don't read about that. I'm not interested in that. And then you have the minerals, and there's even one called archemia. But my point here is they demonstrated that there is a seed to all metals, and they also had classified every kind of metal um, and how it relates to the great work and to the human body. And I would suggest that the power players in this world are holding some of the oldest information. We know that science has taken all efforts to defame any legitimacy in alchemy. So all these nanometals and metals and everything else, I would suggest that it's all being alchemically driven because they know how it's made, where it comes from, and how it interacts. So speculating that this could be done, that these things could act as an antenna, is there any idea we could discuss what they could actually do with that other than frying you, I'm assume? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, they could uh, probably make you docile. I think they could be use this to control, right? We know that um, much of this new millimeter wave uh, EMF technology, right, like the uh, scanners in the airport, for example, um, was developed, I think some of it was developed uh, in Israel for crowd control, and it's been deployed in military operations. So a, a simple uh, thing would be just to subdue people um, when, whenever that's necessary. As far as the vaccines that you mentioned, this was from every major manufacturer, and was the particulate found in it identical in all of them? No, no, they were uh, highly variable. So I actually pulled up the study and have it in front of me now, and there were... 44 different uh, vaccines that they looked at from a number of different companies like, you know, Pfizer, Novartis, Sanofi, Wyeth, Verbach, 
GlaxoSmithKline, Chiron, Berna Biotech, Aventus, like all, all of the players in the field. And um, they were, you know, really interesting because they were, they were actually complexes of different metals combined together in some way. Like, for example, in, um, let's see, I'm trying to find a good one in here where I know what all these brand names, I'm not sure what the, what the uh, vaccines are supposedly before, but they have like com complexes of iron aluminum, of silicon aluminum, uh, sodium phosphorus zinc complexes, aluminum silicon titanium complexes. I mean, there are some exotic uh, substances in here. There's tungsten, zircon, uh, antimony, which is extremely toxic, uh, lead, um, here's a iron chromium nickel complex. So this really um, quite the gamut. Uh, I mean, you know, looking at this paper, it's like you you see almost everything in the middle of the periodic table on here. I would suggest that part of the key, just go look at the old alchemical stuff that's verifiable and authentic. When you start to say antimony and these other things, um, you want to know what's going on. Look at the definitions back then. And by the way, you know, the idea of taking all the men's men out of the world and feminizing them, that's also part of all this because all things are polar in that way. There's a feminine and a masculine and, and all the alchemy dealt with that. And I would be willing to bet as soon as you said antimony and a couple other things, uh, the iron, which is always closely associated in alchemy with blood and other things, um, iron is also uh, in, in uh, the, the closest pair or it interacts the easiest with uh with gold there's all these ideas but i would imagine if we went back to those definitions you could start to get an idea of what's going on well that's a great idea i'm gonna i'm gonna take a look into that you need to get a hold of a book called dwellings of the philosophers i think it might be attributed to falconelli and don't get lost by all the people who want to fake like falconelli's fake it doesn't matter Anything about that name doesn't matter because the ideas are there and the ideas are verifiable. And by the way, they cite the resources. But in that particular text, they're addressing the science community saying, hey, man, chemistry came from Spagyria. So how is it that, you know, you're calling us redheaded stepchildren and defaming all these centuries and millennia of learning? And they lay down things that are provably correct. But I would suggest that there's a trail there for you on the metals because it relates directly to the great work. And I'm not talking about the kind of perverted Masonic idea of that. I'm talking about the original um, great work, which was something altogether different, which is even, you know, kind of made fun of and made further less valuable in things like Harry Potter. They use these ideas to defame them further. But I'm, I'm sure there's keys in that text that might mean something to you. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm anxious to take a look. And, you know, I mean, ever since I uh, heard about Spagyria, I have been uh, researching that and I've been investigating uh, actually using Spagyric preparations um, in in the clinical work that I do and on myself. And I'll tell you that I've I've seen some impressive preliminary results. And we're just now in this part of the world, we're babes in the woods. Very few people getting up to a level who knows how far from the highest levels we might be, but they're trying to revive these. But I, I would suggest, um, you know, they talk about the three kingdoms, vegetable, animal, mineral, but I would suggest for what you're doing, not only the spagyria, which is how the real alchemists attributed the kickoff of chemistry, they directly relate it to spagyria, but the mineral part of that is directly relatable to the original great work, not the kind of bizarre one that it got turned into. Right. So as far as the vaccines are concerned, is there anything about them we should discuss that perhaps hasn't been mentioned? Uh, I know a lot of people have really torn them apart, pointed out just the horrible things about them. Is there anything from your point of view that maybe hasn't been put out there yet that you think should be on the record? Well, no, I mean, certainly a lot has uh, been on the record. But, you know, I was trying to think about, you know, how you could go about using those uh, genetic material type vaccines, right, the DNA and RNA to, you know, really bring about some kind of desired change. And one thing that came up for me is using what's known as CRISPR technology. Are you guys familiar with that? Yes, I am. Yeah, to some degree. So um, this is uh, basically a way to do what they call gene editing. And it's based upon this uh, sequence that was found in bacteria that 
is was seen to basically trim out undesirable parts of their genetics. So they related this to a whole virus dogma, but I don't think that part is the important part. But what it does is it's basically this uh, palindromic uh, short sequence of DNA, and it causes uh, a cleavage in whatever it uh, binds to. So what you can do is you can, let's say you have a target gene that you know the sequence of, you put a short bit of that sequence, like from the beginning of that gene's reading frame or promoter, which is uh, the part before it gets turned into a protein, and then it will add the CRISPR sequence, will bind, uh, sorry, that, that complementary sequence that you create that's specific for the gene target will bring the CRISPR sequence to bind that part of the DNA, and then it will basically make a cut. And so if you combine a cut on one side with a cut on the other side, you can essentially edit out that gene. And I think that the CRISPR uh, material could be pretty easily delivered into a person's body through an injection. So it could be incorporated into these vaccines and it could essentially be targeting some part of your body to edit out certain undesirable genes. And this could be, you know, used uh, to further uh, enhance the infertility issue, I think. I think because that's one of the main goals that's been stated by the proponents of the widespread use of vaccines, you know, people like uh, Bill Gates and whoever's associated with Gavi, which is the main organization under his uh, control that is promoting vaccines around the world. And they've stated that population control is a main goal and population control is just a new name for eugenics. So I think um, that this is something we need to, to investigate further and be cautious of that they could put this type of technology into the vaccine um, that could do some serious uh, damage. Now, if you were to speculate, what kinds of things could they rewrite or manipulate with this technology other than fertility? Well, you know, that's, uh, that's really an interesting thing to think about. And it's kind of hard to, uh, you have to have like a Frankenstein type of mind, uh, scientific mind to investigate this and try to, you know, think from that evil perspective. But one target that's, that's kind of interesting and a little bit controversial because there has been a video floating around um, the internet about it that has been shown to be um, a fake video. But it seems to be based on a, uh, a real technology that was uh, originally put forth by the scientist in charge of Gene Structure and Regulation Unit at the National Cancer Institute. And uh, his name is uh, Dean Hamer. Um, and in 2005, he wrote a book called The God Gene, How Faith is Hardwired into Our Genes. And so the name of this gene is called uh, VMAT2, which um, stands for something that I don't want to repeat here uh, because it's just a technical name. But essentially, there's some research that shows that people who have high expression of this gene tend to be highly religious or spiritual people, people who uh, pray on a daily basis um, and have a lot of uh, spiritual ideas. And we know that um, people with strong spiritual and religious ideas are more difficult to control. They're more resistant uh, to a variety of policies that um, the controllers want to put forth. So if you wanted to make people more agreeable to go along with um, anything that comes along, I think this would be uh, the kind of gene that you might want to target. Now, I'm familiar with the video you're referring to, and it most assuredly is a fraud. I want to make that very, very clear because a lot of people who are passing that around for a while. That is not an accurate video. That is not Bill Gates in the video. That is something from a film or something that was being made, and it got out to, I guess, people just ran with it, but it's definitely not authentic, and I really want to stress that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you, and so there's no evidence that there's any vaccine being developed, you know, to affect this gene. But, but, you know, I thought it was quite interesting that because this was circulating a lot and it does really fit in with some of the suspicions we have about where this technology is going. So after I heard about it, that the video is fabricated, I went and looked and to see, is there, is there anything to this? And I actually found um, a study uh, published in the International Journal of Genetic Science, where they they looked at 2,000 people and they found that that actually people with 
uh, religious behavior and belief in God, that's how they described it, actually did have higher expression of this gene. So there is something to the gene, but it also just serves as an example that there could be other genetic targets that are correlated with certain particular properties uh, that we have. And if it's an undesirable property, then there could be a strategy to decrease it or remove it. And if it's a desirable property, there could be a way to amplify it. These are kind of the strategies that people may use to try and uh, reach this kind of transhuman agenda for their own purpose. We should start to enact things like, okay, leaders of every country, uh, you got to sit there with that vial that you want to inject someone with, and you got to take the first shot out of that vial, submit it for testing. But, you know, this whole thing screams of ownership of the human condition, doesn't it? Because if you're going to start doing things to genomes and, uh, you know, you have to have some legal basis, don't you? Or, or is this just going to be might? And I can't imagine that might, might alone get you there. So there has to really be a claim on who owns you, doesn't there? Absolutely. And and actually, this uh, kind of technology, so let's say that they are going to use nano uh, technology, right? Well, that would be patented technology. So if they put it in our body and it's uh, performing an essential function, well, they could actually claim ownership because now that technology is patented, it's owned, it's proprietary, and it's part of our body now. So there's only a, you know, a small leap to make to say that, well, now our body is completely owned. I think it's pretty clear the methods that will be used, and I don't think it will be long before we see the first efforts. You want to travel? You got to do this thing. You want to you know, do anything that used to be done since the beginning of time with no hassle? Then you got to do this thing. And I think a big part of it will be planes, travel, crossing state lines, these types of ideas. But of course, there's the whole biblical playbook, too. You know, the whole idea is if you want to buy or sell or trade, uh, you got to get this thing that is not very well defined. Um, and of course, that goes all the way back to the mark put on Cain uh, after he murdered his brother Abel, which is the very bloodline that we were referring to, just to put a fine point on it. But we're going to start wrapping up here in a minute. Jason, anything you want to get in before we begin to wind down and get ready for hour two? Well, there's definitely things I'd like to discuss further about vaccines and all that, but that's one of those no-no conversations that uh, certain people don't want us having in public. So I guess we'll save that for hour two, not to mention all the other technologies that I know the transhumanists are obsessed with and where they want to take things. And let's just maybe leave it with this. Do you think they're going to be able to patent people in the future, Dr. Kaufman? Yeah, I, I think it's quite, it's quite likely that, uh, that that's headed that way. Right, because if we become some sort of hybrid uh, cyborg and then we become dependent on that technology, well, it's—I uh, don't think it's um, too much to assume that that will, you know, that technology that will agree basically to sell our soul in order to keep that technology going, and then they could have complete ownership. But even if they just have ownership over technology that's in our body, that allows a high degree of control over our physical body. So whether they own every cell of ours or just the technology that interfaces with those cells, I think it would be effectively from a control point of view, it would it would meet the standard. Man, what the hell happened to us in the 70s? We were singing. We had joy. We had fun. We had seasons in the sun. <laughs> How did we get to here so quickly? You know, just for the record, I'm going to be opting out all these things and I don't care what services I lose to do it. But unfortunately, I've got an advantage that a lot of people listening don't. I'm getting older. <laughs> so I've only got to deal with it for a shorter period of time than, say, someone that's in their 20s. But um, Dr. Kaufman, uh, do you want to lay down contact information or do you want to just show up in comments? By the way, if you do lay down contact information, I'm reasonably sure you're going to get barraged. Well, I, I'll take my chances. I just, uh, I'll mention my website. Uh, that's andrewkaufmanmd.com. And uh, please feel free. Uh, I have unlimited bandwidth now, so I can take the traffic if uh, a lot of people do come. And feel free to, you know, contact me. There's uh, many different ways you can contact me on the website. And I look forward to uh, hearing from you. All right. That brings hour one of episode 227 to a close with Jason Lingren and Dr. Andrew Kaufman. And we're not doing a comedy bit. So, Spare me the comments. Anyhow, join us over at Hour 2 at crow777radio.com. C-R-R-O-W-7-7. 
Radio.com. That's the only true crow site. There are knockoffs and other things set up to defraud, ripping off the material and fooling people. But join us on the other side. Uh, we've kind of held up our end here. What we did is we cited published research. How can you be censored for that, right? Yeah, it's happened before. But the point I'm making is when we get on the other side, uh, we will express the ideas in full um, because we will be using free speech. There it is, man. Join us at crow777radio.com for hour two of episode 227 with Dr. Kaufman. Cheers. Is the enemy of knowing. Come.